is if you want to really drive a company, you have to be knowledgeable enough. That means the day you face your investors, they must be able to tell from the way you present, the way you speak, the level of your knowledge in your conversations assures them that you're fit for investments. And you can only be that competent if you have many conversations with the right professionals because you take away a little bit from everybody and it makes you sound as if you're an expert in everything, but you know everything okay, enough to drive a business forward. Today on the Selling in Asia podcast, Tom has a chat with Lisa Clank. Lisa is the CEO of a beauty tech company called Spendless, operating in more than 10 countries. She's also an award-winning entrepreneur, an early-stage investor, and a personal branding coach. In this episode, Tom and Lisa talk about entrepreneurship, raising capital, and the importance of strong personal branding. Also, wanted to let you know, right now you can join our Sales Accelerator Learning Pack inside Soko Academy for only $9, which gives you access to over 100 sales training videos covering everything from mindset to standing apart from the competition to closing more deals. The link is in the show notes. And now, let's join the conversation with Tom and Lisa. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Tom. It's my pleasure. So let's just jump right in. I mean, I think both of our passions is around entrepreneurship and business. So can you can you let us know wh- what is it about entrepreneurship that really excites you? What do you love about it? Uh, well, I've been an entrepreneur for the last seven years. It started out accidental. I was just a stay-at-home mom trying to start a business to earn side income. I was raising three kids at that time, so they're all pretty much grown up now. But what happened is this journey that I started to embark on changed me completely. Every day, I discover new things, meeting new people, pick up new skills. It changed my mindset to want to do much more things, impactful things. Honestly, entrepreneurship sets me back on purpose. A little bit the fact that I love that I can dominate decisions. Okay, but <laughs> other than that, so I can, I can control my career, my job scope, you know, the people I want to be on my team. Uh, so, but other than that, uh, being able to create impact is what sets my life back on purpose. And I realized that entrepreneurship really grew my character much, much better. So I can be a better role model to the community, to society, and to my children. I love that. So for me, it's, a, it's about impact, you know, and, and can, we make a, can we make a difference? You know, for us, like our, our mission, my mantra is I never want someone to lose a sale because they can't sell. Yep. I've seen so many horrible salespeople out there that I just, like I cringe and I just want to reach out and just help every single one, you know? So I think it's having that purpose, this mission that, that probably drives us to keep doing more. And I love what you say about, you know, being a, a role model for, for your kids. Can you share a little bit more about that? Well, I thought that when I was younger, when I was a stay-at-home mom because I was a school dropout, and I know that's not the pathway I want my children to have. For whatever circumstance that I was in, I wanted to create a better environment so my children could chase dreams, pursue what they want to learn, you know, and have no limitations to their career or their educational pathway. So I can imagine that if my kids grow up and they ask me, right, how come you tell me to chase our dreams, but you're not chasing your own dreams, mom? Mm. So by leading by example would mean that if I want my children to not give up in, and in times of struggle, I want my children to stay positive despite a very, you know, negative environment. I want my children to pursue with effort so that they can achieve greater things for themselves. I got to be the person because, as you know, mothers, we are our children's first teacher. Who we are, what we think, what we say is exactly what our children will follow. So we have to be what we want them to be so they can follow good traits that we have. A hundred percent. You know, I I feel like we have to walk the talk with our kids. You see this all the time. Parents, it's like, do as I say, but not as I do. 
So yep. something that my wife and I, Elaine and I, were always trying to be these positive role models for our kids and show them, you know, what's possible in terms of living your life and studying and getting smart and learning things, but also charting your own course and being your own person. And that's where entrepreneurship, to me, really, uh, you know, fits in. In fact, I learned a lot from my parents because my dad ran his own business. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, when you, you learn from what you see. So I knew that it was possible. So I think for our kids, for your kids, Lisa, seeing you doing what you're doing, it's making a, a big difference. Did you grow up in an environment that, that had entrepreneurship as kind of one of these uh, cornerstones or was this you know, new territory for you? Uh, that's a very good question. Actually, nobody in my family ever in generation, nobody I knew personally had run a business. So when I tell my parents that I was going to start my own business, you know what they were feeling. They were like, this is something no one can help you. You're going to go in, you're going to fail. And, you, you know, you're going to be heartbroken. And we're all going to, we don't know what to do. So I took the plunge without any support, not just moral, not just financial, but just from experience wise, nobody could tell me. In fact, because they are not, because they're not into entrepreneurship, they become negative you know, naturally, they go like, this is not for you. None of our well, family of course, because, they, because yeah. they don't know. They don't know, exactly. Initially, I was a bit disheartened with those kind of um, discouragement, but I realized that they are just giving advice based on what they know. They know that entrepreneurship never worked for this family. Okay, right. and they know we all made it. We bought a house all with employment. There is no reason why you should be taking that risk, especially with three kids in tow. So I understand yes. that, but none of my family members are able to give advice. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. You know, and I think, you know, we, we, we have to give our parents a bit of a break. You know, I know my, my dad was an entrepreneur, so he, he left a very comfortable, well-paying job, you know, corporate, to pursue his dream of starting his own small business. And of course, for the first few years, you know, he took a dramatic cut in pay, and then, then there's that security. And I'm sure my mom was concerned about that. So when I was like, you know, hey, guys, I'm going to start running my own businesses as well. Um, you know, I think my, my father was more encouraging and my mom was a bit more cautious, understandably. And I think for a lot of people, and maybe Lisa was the same in your case, parents are just worried about their kids. <laughs> yeah. That's right, because they don't know how to save you. If you get into trouble with business, they don't know how to save you. It's a totally different new realm for them. So they don't have solutions based on experience at all. So they're too scared to delve. And then they'll be scared that you're delving into it. <laughs> right. You know, and something I tell people all the time, because, you know, in your situation growing up, you, you didn't have that support network of successful entrepreneurs to go, yeah, Lisa, you can do it. And here's how you do it. Right. I was yep. fortunate to have my, my dad that could give me some tips. But by and large, we're, 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 we're left with getting advice from people that actually don't know what they're talking about. So I tell people, don't take advice on launching a business from someone that's never done that and they've only worked a nine to five job before. You know, it's almost like trying to get financial advice from someone who's broke or yeah. marriage advice from someone who's been divorced five times. I mean, you're asking the wrong people. Yep, exactly. Totally agree on that. You have to be careful on who you ask advice from. Okay. And what kind of questions you ask them. So I love that. So something that I feel is really important is, you know, networking. And, and I don't mean networking in the traditional sense of going to an event and, you know, hey, how are you? Here's my name card. But I'm talking about, I mean, that could be part of it, but it's really about building a network of people who can support you. What, what are your thoughts on uh, building a network and learning from people? 
Oh, I think that's one of the most important things. Every time when I do mentorship uh, with startups, I always let them know it's not about how many people you learn from, but it's who you learn from. So you have to be very, very strategic because every one of us have 24 hours. If you invest that time on someone who cannot help you, the wrong expert, okay, then most likely they're not going to take you places. So what I did was when I wanted to start entrepreneurship, as you know, my family has absolutely no background. I have no idea what business investment, capital investment. I have no idea about the law, legalities, financial acumen. I was be way behind in so many things, especially after being a stay-at-home mom for that long. So what I did was I dedicated a year, which is 52 weeks, for the purpose of networking with very strategic people. And instead of events, because when you go to events, obviously it's very random. You have five minutes conversation, you leave and you wonder, who did I spoke with? You know, so that just, that doesn't work for me because I wanted something deep. Okay. And I wanted to have current and up-to-date information about a certain area. So what I did was I actually tracked down 52 professionals and they could be brokers, investment bankers, lawyers, accountants, um, CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, VCs. And I tracked them for one hour lunch. So I request for an hour lunch with them. After I realized where their office is based, I create a sales template to ask them, hey, I'm around that area, if you don't mind. Let's take your lunch on one hour. I, I know your office is there. And people don't mind because they're not pressured to be sold of something. So they make time. Well, let, me, let me ask you real quick. Yeah. So, so what, what's the pitch? Because I get people all the time trying to pick my brain. Tom, can I, can I get you a coffee to pick your brain? And it's like, uh, picking my brain will cost you thousands of dollars and I don't have time. So what, what worked for you? How were you able to end one hour for lunch? I mean, I hope you picked up the tab, but I mean, people can afford lunch. So, so what, what was it that allowed that, 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 that convinced them to invest well, their time for an hour? Okay. Firstly, Tom, you must remember you are a coach and a trainer for a living. You are paid to have your brains picked. These people, for example, Eastman investment bankers, they are paid to do investment banking. They don't do coaching on the side. They do it because they want to, if it doesn't feel pressure. They're not a teacher by profession, but they mm-hmm. do not have to take lunch that day. Okay, so that's what they do. <laughs> that's the truth. They have to take lunch. So if someone's buying them lunch, why not? So basically, mm-hmm. I share my profile and I said, hey, I'm a young rising entrepreneur and I want to learn more about how investment banking works. It's nothing about my business, just about asking you some expert questions. And I think you're really good in what you do. So if you don't mind, I'm around the area, spare an hour. I'm happy to get you lunch. I'll just have a couple of questions about investment banking. And most of the times times people say, oh, yeah, if you're around the area, I think I've got spare time. We'll see you tomorrow at 12. And you hear you're meeting a stranger and you have this list of questions in your head. But the most important thing is it's not about selling your business at all. These corporate professionals don't care what your business is about. It's about asking the right questions. I want to know how everything that's got to do with investment banking. You tell me now, what about your job? How do you help your client on a daily basis? So then people start telling you information and you grasp that information, do a little bit more research and you understand the landscape of business better. So then uh, 12 months after that, I draft my own investment deck and I went to a family office and I raised my first half a million US dollars. Mm, very nice because they told me exactly what to do all these professionals all the lawyers and all the accountants they told me how everything works until i get it so that's what the cooking was for me i i love that so you know for me the big takeaway for people around that is the importance of number one connecting with the right people not wasting your time with people that aren't able to add value in some way 
you've got to offer some value as well, right? I mean, that, that, that's helpful. I mean, if you can offer an introduction to someone or something like that or a referral to them, that's, that's really great. But I think, you know, really being strategic about that is probably what worked for you. And I think that could work for others. Am I right? Uh, yes, absolutely. The question is, okay, where do you feel that learning is more important than raising capital funding first? A lot of entrepreneurs have a great idea and they just want to raise money the very next day. The thing is, if you want to really drive a company, you have to be knowledgeable enough. That means the day you face your investors, they must be able to tell from the way you present, the way you speak, the level of your knowledge in your conversations assures them that you're fit for investments. And you can only be that competent if you have many conversations with the right professionals because you take away a little bit from everybody and it makes you sound as if you're an expert in everything, but you know everything, okay, enough to drive a business forward. So that's what I, I love this. This is great. This is great, Lisa. I mean, this reminds me, you know, several years ago, I was the president of a, a chapter of BNI in Singapore. And one of the things we talked about was this VCP process that visibility plus credibility yeah. equals profitability. Yes. And it sounds like, you know, you were, you, you carry out this, this formula, right? You've got to be visible. You've got to get out there and meet the right people. You've got to learn and build your credibility so people believe in you, trust in you. They feel like you're a knowledgeable, credible person. And then that leads to the profitability where you're able to, to raise capital, right? Yep, exactly. Another point I want to add on, Tom, right? After that, when people start to network uh, generally, okay, because, for example, they're trying to build the right network on social media, example, right? People should not get carried away and being so obsessed with numbers. To be honest, profitability comes about when you have the right target people within your network who's I, who knows your credibility, who knows what you're up to and work with you. Doesn't mean that you have, let's say, 100,000 followers on LinkedIn that would give you more clients than 10,000 followers would. Mm. So it's still the same. Unless you run a community-based platform, like me, we run a community-based platform. We need to get as many people on board so that they're always taking business courses. So we have no choice. We have to raise our network uh, in terms of quantity. But other than that, other people who have a specific niche or, or a delivery of certain work done, they just need to target the right people and they'll be profitable for a very long time and your company will be long-term sustainable that way. I love that. I mean, something that we hear these all the time is what you really need, really, I mean, this could be an arbitrary number, but is to have a thousand die-hard fans, a, yes. thousand, a, a thousand, thousand die-hard followers and fans that will consistently invest in you and, 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 and pay you money. I've seen so many people with a huge audience, you know, 50, 100,000 followers, but they haven't found a way to monetize it because people are just following it for the tips, but they haven't been able to commercialize it or, or monetize that, that following. So it's really important to really focus on that core and kind of create that, that niche, for lack of a better term. Yes, and go slow with that. You don't need to read a thousand people within a period of 30 days. You know, you start a community, constantly give value, make them recommend someone else, organically get referrals. That's when a thousand will be really, you know, that weightage is going to be valuable. So that is gold if you can have a thousand people. You need a lawyer, you just need to call someone. Exactly. Someone is a lawyer. If you get anything <laughs> trouble, you need to, you just call someone. <laughs> and that's what I like it because I hate long, you know, long period of sales pitches and you know, not knowing uncertainty when you're trying to close an invoice. Now people just call you, hey, we heard that you do this, can you help us? And it's easily done in a phone call. I love that. It's 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 all about who you know, right? That network. Things happen so much faster. Oh, that, that's awesome. You know, and I, I love what you're talking about, about building a network and reaching out to people. You know, I've written a couple of books on sales. And my first one, in chapter two or three, I talk about the importance of having conversations with prospects. 
And that so many business people and sales professionals, but mostly entrepreneurs, they invest so much time and money in their product before even understanding if it's something their market is interested in, in, in paying for. Yep. And how important is it really to have conversations with prospects about, you know, what, are, what do they plan to do? What are their hopes and dreams and aspirations, the biggest challenges they're facing? How do they do things? What solutions have they tried? What's worked? What hasn't? What would they like to do? And then from that, you're able to position your offering in the best possible way that maybe resonates with them as opposed to kind of pitching in the dark. Yeah, exactly. From the entrepreneur side, from the service provider side, right? When you start a business, you can do three types of business. Either you do a business totally out of passion, you do a business totally out of demand, or three, you do a passion that is totally with you. Uh, you do a business of passion and demand, and that will be jackpot because you love what you do and you know someone is always buying you. So that's what I personally feel when you want to do a business. And secondly, I also want to say that if you find the right prospect and you think that this guy has a high chance of closing a business with me or take up my service offering, then avoid giving this person more than two choices. You know, two or three best options that you have purposely spent time analyzing his profile to tailor fit to his entire business. Sometimes by studying about people's profile, you can even find out and discover their actual problem without them telling you. And then from there, when you come forward and say, look, you know, you probably encountering this. I was hoping you can, you know, uh, yep. find out about this more. And people go like, how do you know I have this problem? And take a <laughs> little effort to find out now that we're on social media based on what people post and share every day on, on social media. Lisa, I love this. You know, something I share with, with our students all the time is if you can explain your customer's problem better yes. than they can, you can close deals. Yes, you'll be so trusted, they will only come to you for a solution. Whatever it is they have in the future, they still check with you first, if you can yeah. solve it. Uh, that's so great. And I love what you say about kind of, you know, finding that, that, that how to build a business. You know, when you talked about kind of, you know, two things, and, and there's kind of three, three elements, actually, that I find are super important. Number one, like you say, you've got to have the passion. You need to have the passion, the purpose, the belief, the love of what you're doing, because guess what, everybody? It can be really hard, right? <laughs> There's a reason why it's not called the nine to five. I mean, you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're working constantly, but you don't care because you're passionate about it. You love it. And you're not going to quit when the going gets tough, right? So you got to have the passion. But the second thing, and you touched on this, is you got to have expertise. You've yep. got to be an expert and authority in your space. Why would people hand over their money to you if they don't see you as an expert? And then the third is the market. Yeah. So you can, be, you can be passionate, you could be an expert, right. but if, if there isn't the market there to support it, people that are willing to pay, you're in trouble. Plus, if there's too much competition and the market's saturated, that can be really tough. So it's not easy to find that, that perfect balance, but if you can, then things are, are looking good. Yeah, that's exactly what the investors are looking for. There's three things. Before somebody pumps you $100,000 in your bank, they want to know whether, do you know what you're talking about? You know, do you mm. know, is your passion deep enough to take this for the next 10 year run? And is there a market within the territory you're operating right now for the next five years? You know that this product will continue to be in demand. So all these are what investors look out for. I love that. So maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, selling remotely or pitching remotely. I mean, why don't you talk to us? I know you've got a lot of experience when it comes to raising capital because you, you've had to do that in your businesses. So you know, what, what do you find is most effective when it comes to raising capital and, and how, how, what's working for you in this current environment where, 
you know, it's more difficult to actually do that in a face-to-face situation. Okay, uh, when it comes to raising capital funding, right, it's a very competitive business. Honestly, there is a lot of private equity money, okay? We're not running out of money. It's just we're running out of convincing startups. That's what we're having problems with. So I know that there's a lot of people uh, who are looking for, you know, to pump their money elsewhere to grow their business. What you must understand, this process, right, is a very emotional process. I know it sounds very direct. No, Lisa, it's all about the numbers. It's all about the ideas. It's all about the market. By the end of the day, if it takes one human being to approve the transport of the money to you, it is still binded by emotions. Because somebody Mm. makes a decision based on liking, maybe. Somebody Mm. makes a decision based on recommendation, maybe. Somebody makes a decision because of other things other than the numbers that you put in your forecast sheet. Maybe their gut feeling. And maybe even gut feeling. Or how they feel when you communicate with them. Right. Could be anything. There is no true answer to that. I cannot tell. You know, it's very different from investor to what. I mean, well, how many how many times do we see a situation where maybe the numbers look right, but it just doesn't feel right? Yes, it just doesn't feel. There must be something about the person. His presentation is good, but still, I'm not right. sure yet. Yes. Do I want to work with that person? Right. Exactly. Do I want to you know continue this relationship with that person? But one thing for sure, if you want to raise investment, okay, you need to do it in an environment that makes you look the best. Okay, so. This is what I mean. If I were to pitch in person, for example, if I attend a physical investment uh, event, nobody knows me there. But online, when I do it, people can easily track back my profile to understand that I dictate this space. So in this case on LinkedIn, with over 100,000 followers, award-winning CEOs, you know, 100 events uh, or interviews, automatically this space, this digital space, has already heightened my, my authority, okay, my personal brand. And because of that, the investors take that seriously because not everybody can achieve that. So therefore it becomes a spotlight. So that's one of the thing is basically you must start raising investment in a proper position where you look of authority. You look important. Okay. Other people give you credibility, gives you open compliments. That is where investment should happen. It should not be happened behind closed doors, but I don't know you Yeah, You probably won an award last year, but I didn't know that. Okay, and that is one of the things. And secondly, I realized because social media has been where my profile was the biggest, again, most uh, prominent, um, I tried to utilize social media to start getting investors' interest. Okay, and I started to put myself in a position of an investor as well. If I were to invest my money in someone, what are the key factors I'm looking out for? Number one, you know, I need to be assured that this person is trusted. It is measured by how many people are giving her compliments every day, how many credibility has she achieved in the last five years, what is her educational background? I want to watch a couple of her videos to see how she presents herself. You know, so all these things contribute to credibility and it builds trust. Okay, and secondly, people want to see the tangibility of the idea itself. So if you're launching in a certain market, you have a presentation deck that explains how this idea is going to fit nicely into the market and how it's going to grow and blossom from there under your leadership. So those two things are actually the most important. And number three is to be somebody who's very articulate if you're asking a certain kind of investment and you can simply answer exactly why you need it and for what without referring to your your files your notes because as the founder of the business you're championing uh, you're championing this whole idea in business so Mm. you want to be able to give an answer direct and clear because you know what's going to happen at any point of time what happened if you raise a hundred thousand what happened if you raise fifty thousand what happened if you raise half a million and you have all this already set in your mind because you're visionary enough to see the different pathway depending on the investment capital. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think the investors like. Uh, and lastly, is to be very out and open and transparent. That's what I want to say. If you want to raise capital funding, 
you have to be open and transparent. There's not no such thing as I'm not sure yet. I, I don't think uh, there yet. I have to get back to you. I cannot tell you. So if mm-hmm. investors are the person, they appreciate honesty. If you really cannot do it, you tell them, okay, I will need to hire a CEO because I'm not a coder. But I know there's a market for this, okay? You give me the funds. I hire a coder. He's my CTO. I'll find a good one. And it's all about trust. And they appreciate that more. And they go like, okay, we'll take the risk with you because we know you're going to fix the problem because you acknowledge there is one. So that's it. I, I love that. So it sounds as though people need to have confidence in, in you. They have to have confidence in your abilities, but also have, have confidence in your ability to realize what your limitations are, that you've seen these blind spots and that you're aware of what you need to do or who you need to get on your team to still reach that goal. Yes, yes, exactly. And you can achieve all that. All this checklist, right? This uh, checklist can be ticked without meeting in person because right. that's all you need. Okay, they don't need to smell you. They don't need to uh, touch your face. They don't necessarily need to hear your voice when you can hear it on, online, on a video that you speak on the internet every day, something like that. So as long as they get all that, they already build enough trust and all they, they fall in their interest, you get connected to a legal mandate, which is, you know, more assuring for them. And you close the deal, get investment the next day. It's as simple as that. So it sounds like it's, it's really about increasing your visibility and your credibility, right? I mean, you've got to be, you've got to be seen out there. before. If you're, if you're trying to get any kind of investment or getting clients or customers, whether you're in sales or running a business, people have to see you and know that you exist before they'll even think about possibly giving you any, any money at all, right? Yes, LinkedIn is actually one of the most uh, stable kind of resource. If people need to check out what you do the last 10 years, they go to LinkedIn. If people want to invest money, they want to, you know, find out what's going on, what projects are you leading right now, they go to LinkedIn. So updating LinkedIn is important. Giving current up-to-date information is important. Sharing milestones is important. Because mm-hmm. it may benefit, may not benefit you, but in time, it will make sense to the people who want to make investments. So it's really about kind of building your, your, your personal branding capital, for lack of a better description. You're, yes, you're in, exactly. You're in, you're investing in your 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 personal branding, your personal brand. Yes, you are the person permanent in the business. You must remember that as the founder of the company, uh, people can come and go in this business, but you making investment to use your personal brand to spearhead the brand of your company is worth the investment of time because you are going to be in it for the longest time. You're going to pick up the pieces when it's failing. You're going to raise capital funding because you're committed to this vision. Other people, you cannot make your other C-levels or your other directors to be as prominent as you in spearheading this business idea. So you take charge right now So because your value is more than a company. The company is useless without a driver. So you need to convince the investors, I'm going to drive it. Okay, if you trust me, I will continue to drive the best way I can. And that's the assurance people need. So they're investing as much in you as the founder as they are in this business as, as a model, Right. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's what you want because you want the trust not just to be with the business or the brand, but to, to trust you because you never know. So if you make decisions or we decided to you know, get out of this market and enter this market, they trust you. They trust that you make this decision for the sake of sustaining this business. So we lose some money here, but trust me, we're going to make money here. So we're going to mm-hmm. pivot. So this one, with this kind of convincing, you have harder trouble with investors. You have less trouble with investors moving on because investors are also married to your business. They're not leaving after a year. So they're here year after year, open your books, take out your business plan, and you have to answer everything. So you want to be sure that they trust you enough okay, that they will accept your reasoning because you're on the ground. You have the reasons why things didn't go as they are planned. 
So we need to be trust trusting you enough for that. And and to see each other as partners in a long term business relationship. It's not a transactional thing, right? Yes, exactly. And the thing is that I have not met ninety five percent of my investors in person, and I'm more than I think more than eighty percent of them. I've not even take a phone call. So it has been. It's very weird way of I'm teaching this as well, but it's a very weird way. So we normally know exactly what investors are looking for, and sometimes, right? I told him I don't know whether you realize this, right? But sometimes when you post and it hits ten thousand reach, but you are very smart to know out of these ten thousand, your post is strategized for a very small minority of people, and you know who they are. You write for this small minority. Of course, uh, it attracts ninety ninety percent. For just engagement purposes, but you're targeting content for this ten percent. So every time when I write content for investment, it's targeting investors. It's it's written in a way that when investors see, they they appear, okay, right. they get awakened because it fits them that knowledge. Other people will read it from a general perspective. So then these investors, once they're awakened, I start seeing them a little bit more on LinkedIn. I start putting out the information that they would start asking their head. You know, they'll be asking what? Okay, how much is this company worth? What's the company valuation? So all these questions that's in your head, you you feed them with more posts that is going to answer every single one of them, and you build this stage of trust until they get to the maximum. They go like, okay, that's the form she gave us a form to register. We fill up our name, we give her passport number, we we check out the deck, and then we call the legal mandate. And of course, you have a lawyer representing you, which means that due diligence has been done. You're a legit operating business. That is all. Us. That's not important. That's already solved. And immediately they go like, okay, we'll fund you as twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand, and and that's it. And you can progress your business to the next level because of the capital funding. So th- this is great. I mean, this this is relevant whether someone's trying to raise capital funding or whether someone's just trying to get their their first customer online. It's really about you know writing your posts, creating your your content in such a way that's really focused on your ideal target customer or investor. It's being super clear about what messages resonate with them and writing for them. I always tell our, our customers, you know, when you're, when you're posting anything on social, always think about your top three customers. Actually picture them in your head. Who are those three people? And write the copy, write the content for them in a way that they would get excited, that it would speak to them personally. Because if it resonates with those three, it's going to resonate with 300. Or three thousand, or thirty thousand. It just scales out. But just being really deliberate with your with your content. So I, I love to hear that. So let's just maybe wrap up, Lisa, with a, a couple of final things. I think it's always uh, useful to talk about our biggest learnings. You know, we we've obviously had successes, we've had failures. I've had some. I'm sure you have as well. It's sort of like what did we? But what did we learn from those? failures. And I think that's really important. So do you maybe want to share a little bit about, you know, some non-successful things that you've had or done failures and like, well, what, what did you learn from that? Or what's something that people can avoid in the future? What went wrong? Honestly, I wanted to say that people should be welcoming failure. The younger you are, where you have less things at stake, you're not married, you don't have a mortgage, and you're still living with your parents with no rent, this is the best time to go through failure. Because failure, as they say, is a stepping stone to success. And I didn't realize it earlier, you know, because we all have the fear of failure, which is exactly what's limiting us from taking bigger risks, you know, bigger obligations, um, yada, yada. But most importantly is failures are now seen to me as an opportunity that I'm bound to learn something which I didn't know before. So let me just pause for a minute, Lisa, because that's a mindset that you and I have that not everybody has. 
right? And I think what really people struggle with is they see failure as an absolute rather than seeing it as a prototype, something yep. that they can learn from that. So I think that that is a lesson in and of itself that you just said about realizing that failure is an opportunity to learn. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there for the, for the listeners. Yes, the lesson that I wanted to say is failure is not fatal. It is not the end of it, okay? Actually, it is the birth of something else. So now you know exactly what didn't work. It's now going to put you on a different pathway to know what will. Because you've already filtered off, okay, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. And I know it because when I raised my, when I started my business from a stay-at-home mom and it went on, um, I, w- I was running a production company and it was doing very well until it went bankrupt. So it went bankrupt because it was growing too big, but I wasn't growing. I wasn't growing. I didn't have enough knowledge to lead a growing business. So that, I lost everything in that process in the year 2015. Oh, everything, every resources, every property, everything was gone. And of course, in six months, I was in total depression. Okay. Mm. And I was going to ask myself, if I'm going to continue to be this depressed, then I succumb to the failure. That's it. I did something and I completely lost. And that would be, you know, regret and remorse for the rest of my life. But mm. if I spend time, you know, get over it, enough grieving, go back and check out every milestone of what caused and lead me to this failure with the intention of learning so that it doesn't happen again. And that's what I did. I realized that if I could now be successful and even way more than I was before I was bankrupt, how can we let failure stop us? It actually propels us. So we have to let it do that, you know, and not let it control us. We can control failure. We fail, oh well, we learn and we build something else. I love that. You know, I, I always have this, this mindset, Lisa, of, of a scientist experimenting, someone designing something. And you would never see a scientist who tries something, it fails, and then they would just give up and go, oh, well, I, I, guess, I guess electricity will never be invented. <laughs> Imagine that. Right, of course. They go, okay, so that didn't work. Let's try this. I mean, you know, I think that there's this expression that Thomas Edison, when he invented the light bulb, he, he tried like 99 times and it blew up or it didn't work. And he'd say, okay, great, well... Now I know 99 ways to not <laughs> create a light bulb. So you're always learning as you're losing, right? You're, you're, you're learning as you, as you go along. And your ability to, to keep going is, is, is that persistence. You know, it's like that expression, persistence overcomes resistance. And I believe that 110%. It's true. And your failure builds strength in you. So the next time when somebody tells me, okay, Ms. Lisa, this project didn't make us money. You know, you don't, you don't sweat it anymore. You're like, okay, it doesn't. So let's see something else that would. You know, and then you move on. You didn't even spoil your day because you're so used to failure because mm-hmm. you take it as a change, you know, a drive for change. So if there's one, one, one final comment or word, something that would you, you want to uh, leave a final message for, for entrepreneurs to feel inspired or motivated to keep trying or to start going, I mean, what, what message would you want to share with them? Okay, uh, one of the most valuable tips I want to give because I still see a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs okay, that started their business um, who just doesn't apply this yet and it is very important, which is what we call outsourcing. Okay, mm-hmm. Outsource, if, this, if somebody had told me this advice okay, 10 years ago, I think I would probably be successful earlier. But outsourcing is a very great skill to have, which means if you cannot build a, an excellent website or you cannot do video editing very well, you cannot do writing very well, social media very well, but you have a tangible product, a good product, you have an expert in something else, outsource it. It sounds like, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't have much, but now I'm, I'm cutting away some of money to someone else. 
it's called investment already. You have to start investing in resources. And it's, and it's called scale. Yeah, it's called scale, yes. How because, do you leverage yourself and, and replicate? Exactly, because I've seen a lot of people not outsourcing, and guess what? They get tired. They get tired because they keep on learning new things that they can never be very good at in a short period of time. That's when they give up. They I think that's the... Sorry, Lisa. I think that's the biggest problem that entrepreneurs have, founders, is they feel like they, sh they need to be experts at all facets of the business. And, and to their detriment, we're, we're often pretty damn good, <laughs> right? We're pretty darn good and we can do almost everything. And that, in a wrong way, it encourages us to keep doing more of the, the hands-on work when we need to be a bit more strategic and start outsourcing. To me, it comes down to this. Do you want to have 100% of this, right? Or maybe 80% of like all of this? Yep. Scale yep. and leverage, right? Exactly. Outsourcing will help a lot, especially mothers like me who start a business after we have children. If we don't outsource and you're trying us to be a superwoman, we're never going to achieve anything. So outsource helps a lot. Awesome. That, that, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. This has been a really great conversation. I love talking with like-minded entrepreneurs and just kind of talk and shop and exchanging ideas. It just really gets me pumped up and, uh, and motivated. And I'm sure it's done the same for our listeners as well. So big thanks again, Lisa, for joining us. And uh, to everyone watching or listening, take care. Bye, everyone. Thank you, everybody. Bye. If you want to go deep into implementing social selling, we have a brand new social selling course coming out shortly on our e-learning platform, Soko Academy. Check the link in the show notes for more details about the course.